Welcome to episode 62 of the Great Divide podcast. This is the second part of the piece in our time deep dive. But be warned, the guys have lost the plot. Dave Bates. Tom is banging his head against the wall while muttering Dave something about Dave Bates. Dave Swine was staring blankly into space after listening too much to King of Emotion. They need help. Please help them. Can someone help? Hello? Anyone? Oh dear. Well, never mind then. Here is the episode. Okay, every time I see that title, let's get that out of the way first, Broken Heart 13 Valleys. It just feels like the band didn't know if they should call the song Broken Heart or 13 Valleys. They ended up calling it both. And uh, I mean, do you think of it as Broken Heart or 13 Valleys or both? I think of it the same way I think Stuart thought of it, and that's 13 Valleys. I, I never saw one comment from Stuart where he referenced the phrase Broken Heart when he talked yeah. about the song. I really believe, honestly, I really believe that it was called 13 Valleys and some someone, probably Dave Bates, listened to the song, heard Broken Heart <laughs> being repeated over and over and said, what is what the hell is 13 Valleys? Who's going to understand what that means? you got to call it Broken Heart. And, the, and they came up with some compromise where they put parentheses, 13 Valleys in parentheses, and that never, ever works. Any, any no, song that, just like you said with the Singing Ladies Law, the other law is... Any song title with uh, parentheses is not a good song title. <laughs> it's got to at least be part of the same uh, phrase. Broken Heart 13 Valleys makes no sense. No. Again, it's not part of the same phrase. It's, again, it's perfect nothing. example of the, of the issues that they're having. You know, you've got Stuart in 13 Valleys. You've got Dave Bates in Broken Heart. And there they are. We don't know if it was Dave Bates, do we? We don't know for sure. But I, I, I really strongly believe that it was. I think Dave Bates is uh, more a symbol at this point for everything that went wrong. If we need a scapegoat, it's uh, Peter. Peter Wolf has gotten a lot of flack over the years, and he deserves some of that flack. But uh, he didn't force the band to make an album with him. Yeah. Dave Bates did. That's right. So, so ultimately, it goes back to that. But yeah, I'm definitely in the third in Valley's camp. It, it makes no sense. I, I think if someone had just said "broken heart." I would have had to stop and think for a second. Hey, what's what's that? Oh, yeah, it's Thirteen Valleys. Right. Whereas Thirteen Valleys is just natural. Immediately, you know what song it is. Have you any idea what single number two might be? I can tell you exactly, but I'm not going to. Oh, go on. <laughs> okay, it's going to be a song called Broken Heart or Thirteen Valleys. That's the same song, but the title's in debate at the moment. But anyway, uh, according to the liner notes of the Deluxe Edition remaster from uh, 2013, so this is the represents thing, this song was partially inspired by the romantic tribulations of the Boonies in John Del Vecchio's Vietnam epic, The Thirteenth Valley. Mm. I have not read it. I don't know what it's about. And this is the only reference I will make to it because I have nothing to add beyond that. Uh, what I can say about this song is that 
this was the first song I heard from Peace in Our Time. It was not King of Emotion. Lucky thank you. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. This song was, uh, this video was actually played on the Norwegian show Top Pop in 1988, which was the same show that the big country lip synced to in December. Uh, and I was able to tape off this video of the TV. So I was, I was thrilled. Yeah, a new video from Big Country, and I was even ready to tape it. So uh, even though the pants in that video got old really quickly, I, I thought the song was good. I thought it was uh, nice at the time. Uh, and by the time you get the album, then you're usually a bit done with the one song that you've had, and you've had a chance to hear it many times. So you just want to get to the rest of the album. It, it's very natural. So um, I was curious about how the sound of that song fit in with the sound of the album, because I would call this a very laid-back song. Uh, and that is fine if the album has more rockers in it to balance off. The problem is this album really don't have too many of that. It's a laid-back album in a lot of respects. It's a laid-back song on an album of mostly laid-back songs. So with that context, you start going, oh, oh, okay. And that, that actually, the, the, when you hear the album, it, it sinks the stock value of the song itself. But the sound of the song, there, there was definitely something new about the song. And we know now, because we found out since then, that Peter Wolf sampled each of Stewart's guitar strings individually on his <laughs> synclavier, then played that part himself on the keyboard. I find it really weird. I mean, take it for instance, 13 Valleys, which is a song where Stuart plays the guitar at the start. I come in later on with the mandolin. But it's a simple song, and Stuart's just playing, starts off in A. It's like a typical turnaround, simple guitar picking thing that anybody could kind of play. It's not a big country sounding, it's just a standard guitar right. sequence of chords. He got Stuart on that track to record all the strings of the guitar onto the synclavier. And then, well, Peter, Peter, it's not, that's not Stuart playing on that, that's Peter Wolf playing the keyboard. That is, that's only Stuart's guitar sampled. It's actually wow. Peter playing it on his piano keys on his synclavier. And then what, what he did was, he got Stuart to play the part, but not play it, if you see what I mean. He didn't, he just recorded the squeaks of the guitar strings, you know, so... <laughs> you know, that's just the way it was back then. It was everyone was after complete separation. Uh. You know, a couple of things I did where I, they said, record a chord into the synclavier, and I think it was the start of time for leave, and they had all this backward stuff going down, you know, and... Yeah, yeah. Playing individual strings, and then he would just play them on his on his synclavier, and it was a, it was I enjoyed it, you know. There was multi reasons, but the end product was it didn't sound like big country. I mean, the band has two fantastic guitar players. If you want, we want to hear what they are playing. We don't want to hear some non-band guy replicated on a keyboard. It's <laughs> exactly. absolutely fucking ridiculous. I it's, know. It's um. If you, we can point to a song like King of Emotion as being a better example for a misguided song direction, but 13 Valleys sort of has examples of the other problem, which is just the approach to creating sounds. And it's not the sound of the band. It's like a copy of the band played on a synclavier. 
it's ridiculous. <laughs> and we even heard the, the fact that he sampled the the sound of the pick hitting the guitar strings, so he could add that into it <laughs> uh, to make it sound more authentic. Uh, this 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 is misguided. It doesn't even begin. To, uh, God, it's it's this this pisses me off. And um, what uh, this didn't make sense to me because Stuart was so vocal in saying this album was a result of the band playing live in the studio for the first time. Yeah, and then you hear shocking. about this. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Doesn't it's it's the least live sounding album I've ever heard. And um, <laughs> th- this this approach contributes greatly to that. So um, so I don't know this. Um, I'm sure the examples are many, and. Uh, it's also the start of of hearing a lot of polish going on in the album. Each song is polished. It's a layback. It's a safe sound. There there are no unduly harsh guitars coming there to to scare us. It's uh, safe. It's it's nice, and you hear a lot of keyboards. And I have some quotes later about uh, from band members on uh, how how Peter Wolf would go to town on adding himself into the mix. If you look actually at the credits to the album, it's very interesting because you have uh, Peter Wolf listed as an additional musician on keyboard. You also have Josh Phillips listed on keyboards, and I wonder how he would even get to elbow his way in when Peter Wolf was sitting there in the middle of the studio dominating every song with his keyboard. <laughs> right. Uh, and then you have the three singing ladies. So so those are the extra musicians. So the singing ladies we talked about, uh, the interesting bit to me is that Josh Phillips is involved at all. But he was in the mix, which is kind of from consistency. He went out on tour with them. Okay, yeah, I like to see that consistency. But Peter Wolf is top of the list. And you can kind of hear it. And you can go down song by song by song. There, There's strong keyboard elements. And that was Peter Wolf arranging songs in that way. Plus... Uh, Clearly, Big Country didn't have a keyboard player, uh, so they had fooled around. You, if you hear the first album, a lot of songs were written on keyboard. Uh, both Stuart and Bruce fooled around on it, uh, Mark fooled around on it, and uh, they all kind of could do it, but not at the level of late 80s keyboard production. So, right. hence Peter Wolf adding himself. So if they were going to sound like that, it was inevitable that someone would do it. He might as well have been the producer. He knew exactly what he wanted. It was his direction. So uh, uh, I think it would have sounded that way, whether it was him or someone else, because it would have ended up the way he he wanted it there. Uh, I didn't mention the lyrics. I'm not going to spend tons of time on it, but uh, it's, uh, again, a similar thing. It's a song about love. There are a couple of love songs on this album. That seems to be a, a good uh, theme if you want uh, a radio hit. But uh, no, this is uh, someone who can't get who he wants, or and she, because he does the thing. The first word is about he, then the second word is about she, and uh, then um, then he summarizes it all in the end. And this is someone who, like, like the bird said, 13 valleys he has wondered for her love. For He thinks he is the one that she dreams of. But her bed was made elsewhere from the first day she got there. Hmm. So he wonders certain valleys crying out. That's basically what the song is about. Someone who's sad, unrequited love. And the same, the second verse for she. It's the same thing. Her lover is long gone with the money she sent on. So <laughs> a bit of swindle involved there. <laughs> a true rock and roll swindle. The third verse is kind of a little bit haunting because 
here, th this is a bit chilling. Thirteen valleys lying silent in the haze, filled with the promises and spirits that we raised. But the spirits are all ghosts of the one we hurt the most, and they wander thirteen valleys crying out. That's almost a bit menacing, uh, in a way. Yeah. But the but that's what the song is about, and the song is is nice, and uh, especially there's one moment in the song uh, that is very strong, and that's the the one where the band seemed to get fired up. And Stuart really sings out, and this almost this is the closest they got maybe on the album to a couple of bars of previous epicness when he sings that broken heart will be forever in a lifetime. You can kind of hear the band just pulling in behind that, and then it ties down to, and you may fight, you may run for what was fast is now undone. It it it, it just goes nowhere. It those two sentences, that part of the song, uh, like a throwback to the to old epic big country, but it is taken all the way back down, calmed in, and a broken heart needs someone new to blame it on. So that's kind of an anti-climatic way to uh, to end that bit of the song that shows a bit promise. Yeah. And uh, that's that's broken heart. It's it's kind of a song that I liked it when I heard it. The thing about the video, all the landscapes and the great looking landscapes back in Australia, but uh, the song is very safe and toothless perhaps. And over the years, it's kind of deteriorated a bit for me. Uh, it's it's not a song that uh, sort of stands strong over time and I, I i think the production lets it down i think this song has something in it and when stewart played it live acoustically solo which he did a couple of times and one of those is on the recent remaster that's a great song that one i really enjoy and uh then you perk up and you realize what a good song it is uh, so it's almost the same situation as ships we, we talked about ships that the, the band kept giving version of that song that wasn't hitting it for me but when I heard Stuart play it on his guitar just solo, suddenly the emotional nerve just struck home. And uh, some of the song is tapping into kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, I kind of feel a similar way to you on this one. It, a little bit stronger in my feeling of the song itself, probably, because I think it's a, I think it's a really great song structurally. It's, it's a song that probably was more geared to being a, a single, in my opinion, than King of Emotion, at least the first big country single so it's interesting that you heard it first uh but yeah i'm kind of with you in that it's one of those songs that i can look at it from a distance and think this is good about it this is really good about it this is really good about it but it just doesn't grab me it doesn't um it doesn't mean nearly as much to me as as some of the much lesser known songs on this album or yes. other albums and as you say maybe it's a case of it just being overplayed maybe um it's not not like they've done it on tour after tour, but it but it's been played a lot. It usually is the the main representation of peace in our time when the, when they try to represent it live or when Stewart tried to represent it live. And I got the feeling that he was very proud of the song. Um, the interesting thing about it is that it it, it comes from uh, the song "The Longest Day," and there are a lot of pieces of the song "The Longest Day" that that made their way to this.
The Longest Day uh, was actually recorded in 1985, and Stewart says it was originally a film by the same name, but I seem to remember we were not comfortable with the film's subject matter. The chorus, melody, and chorus, I don't know why that's mentioned again, were later to be incorporated into 13 Valleys, Stuart Adamson. So you notice that he says into 13 Valleys, too, not Broken Heart, 13 Valleys. Yep. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think this is, a, this is a, a better song, in my opinion, than The Longest Day. I think there are a lot of good things about The Longest Day, especially the way it's produced and just the rawness of it. But I think it's um, kind of a song that's that's too long. It needed to be focused more, and there are some things about it that just go on for too long in that in the demo of that song for me. But um, I think I think this is a really interesting version of of that song, of an, in, an interesting reworking of that song. But yeah, the 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 whole sampling of the guitar strings I, I was shocked when when bruce recently revealed that this song too had that done to it because this to me at least sounds it sounds like a guitar uh to me it's i mean i, I know it was sampled but it, it sounds believable as being a real guitar played on this song and always has some of the other songs that we'll talk about later i always knew that something weird was going on but yeah just the idea of someone going to all of that trouble when they could have just had Stuart or Bruce sit down and play the damn part is mind-boggling. And I can only think, you know, again, I, I go back to the experience that I had because the guy who did, who was producing, trying to produce us was was similar in that he was a keyboard player and he was very into technology and it was very new at the time, a lot of this stuff. Um, and I guess he was just completely overtaken with what you could do. And I remember this guy was like wanting to sample guitar chords and play them on the keyboard and that kind of thing. And it was just, it just neuters the whole feel of, of a song. And I think if this song could have been done and recorded in a more REL type of fashion or with a, a much more raw feel to it, it, this song could have been, could have also been higher in the, uh, in estimation of, of the fans. I think it could have been a much more, um, and it is a pretty love song already, but I think it could have it could have done the song more justice. There's a keyboard part in this that comes, I think, right before the second verse. And I remember again going back to the dorm room listening party that we had. I remember again when when we were listening to this song and that keyboard part played. It's it's a really dissonant part. And I don't know if you know exactly what I'm talking about, but if you, I, I think again, I think it comes in right before. The second verse kicks in, and it's just this really dissonant keyboard part, like, it's so, it comes from so out of nowhere. I remember when we heard that, we again, we're like, what the hell is that? You know, that, and I get what they're trying to do now as, it, as I become more familiar with it. It's just like this weird dissonant sound, but so does not fit the song at all. And um, I think they were just whoever was doing the keyboards, whether whether it was Josh or Peter Wolf. I think they were just so um, enraptured with this new technology, and they they went way too far in trying to force it into the into the proceedings here. And just made it so sanitized. <laughs> and now there are a couple places in this album, and we get to the songs I'll mention them where I actually think it worked out pretty pretty cool. But you got to use that stuff in small doses, especially with a, with a band like Big Country. Yeah. But, but I mean, structurally, I can't add much to what you said. I, I think, um, I think structurally, it's a it's a good big country song. It sounds like big country to me, um, for the most part. I remember when it came on, I thought, okay, this is better than what I just heard with King of Emotion. This is giving me better a better feeling for what's to come. Um, 
the chorus, as you say, very big, very anthemic. Um, but yeah, and and this is a common problem with with a lot of the songs on this album that maybe could have really gone over the top and just kicked it into another gear. They get to that point a little bit and then they pull back, and I kind of do feel that with this song too. But um, yeah, great lyrics in the song again. A lot of great lines, and you mentioned a lot of them already. The ones we hurt the most and wandering thirteen bellies crying out. Very evocative line. Um, yeah. Very very moving line. Um, so, but the other stuff, the little, the little stories, the little couple stories about the people who have lost their love or whatever, they're good. They're well-written. I especially like, um, her bed was made elsewhere from the first day she got there. That's a great little rhyme, but it, it seems like he's painting a picture of something that's maybe a little, I don't know, pedantic or, or dull. Maybe. I don't know. He, He's written songs like this before. This taps into songs like uh, Hold a Heart almost, where someone is yearning for someone and it's, it's never going to happen. And this is just another take on that. It's a variation on a well-known theme, I would say. Yeah, I think the difference for me is that Hold the Heart is a, was personal. I mean, he, the character yes. was singing about himself. And yes, you could definitely. Feel that, you could feel that pain coming through. Whereas this is like he's the narrator, the third-person narrator talking about something. and. Maybe again, there's something here about lyrically that's this dilution of of um, what things might have been if he had been completely left to his own devices to write the song the way he wanted to. And I, I really feel strongly, as I've said, that Thirteen Valleys was what he wanted to call the song, and someone made yeah. him add Broken Heart. I really believe that, and I'm sure that that probably filtered through to the the way the entire song was was performed and written. Um, to some degree, but I think there's plenty of great stuff in this song that makes it a, a really good big country song. And, and, um, but like you, it's just, uh, maybe it's just been overplayed for me. I, I just, it doesn't have the emotional impact that maybe it should. Uh, logically, I can see that it's a really good song, but it, it never totally grabbed my, uh, my heartstrings the way others have. Mm. Um, I, I think for me over the years also, the, the, <laughs> the weakness in the production uh, it's uh it sounds really polished it sounds perhaps a bit bland and uh it it makes total sense that you actually don't hear the guitar players ripping lo loose or, or laying down an emotional underbed and this is why i'm in a different camp to you when it comes to the longest day i i, I definitely prefer that because i hear the sound of a band playing impassionately well while, while i do agree with you it, that the version we have of that song is a little long, but I think that could be remedied. That could have been fixed. So perhaps a bit more of that, the, the, the band playing live in studio, as they always said they did, but clearly didn't, Yeah, would, would have uh, sort of brought out the passion in the song a bit more, which oh, is yeah. what lacks at the end of the day. I, I read the, the lyrics like poetry, and it's, it's very nice, but the song is too muted, and it's a bit passionless it's more like a very nice well-played song which i thought when i first saw the video it's a nice well-played song but it's it's safe it's perhaps uh, could i used a bit more up and go and, and like i said those two bars when they really go for it and then pull it all away again it's <laughs> um, yeah it's another one of those moments where you glimpse big country and then they yeah take it away yeah yeah exactly and that is there on on the longest day there's more of that and that isn't present in, in 13 Valleys. No, definitely. And just to be clear, I, I think the production of The Longest Day is what I would want this 
to be. So when yeah. I say I think when I say I think this is a better song, I I think it's I think it's structurally a better song. I think it 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 has more of a focus to it and it's been tightened up where it's just a it hits a little bit harder. But if they could if they could meld what this song became with the way they approached the playing of and recording of the longest yeah. day, I think and it kept would... some of the guitar lines on the longest day. Yeah, which I think are awesome. Keep those guitar lines, please, and uh, then you can change the production a bit. Have the band just sounding fired up. Yeah, then we're exactly. starting to get somewhere. Yeah, and this song is interesting because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I don't believe this has any kind of guitar solo at all in it. It's got um, some great mandolin <laughs> playing, but there's no there's no guitar solo in this, which not every song has to have a guitar solo, believe me, I understand that. And, I, and this song I don't think probably needed one, but it is interesting that it's one of the few big country songs. In fact, I wonder if, I wonder if it's even the first that really didn't have a standout lead guitar line in it. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, but it, it's got something in it that I think we'll see throughout some of these other songs that I actually like about the peace in our time approach and this whole era. And maybe this lends itself to why I, I tend to listen to it more than maybe I, I, I would, if you look at where I rank the album, but there, there's kind of an interesting, um, clean sound over top of a distorted sound that they use quite a bit that they, they did some of that on the seer, but you you never really heard that as much with big country until this time period where you'll have nice clean beautiful guitars and then in that same song you'll have big meaty guitars kick in at certain points and they'll, I I like the way those two blend yeah. with each other. So I think we get that in this song and in the next one too and I I I like that sound. I think that opens up their sound a little bit. But yeah, this song to me great song in, in a lot of respects but a little too sanitized the production takes away a lot of the bite but it's still a well-written well-written tune. So where do you rank it? I rank this one, uh, I was surprised, but I rank it at number seven. <laughs> I think I think it's probably a better song than, than a number seven ranking, but I, I ranked it there just because it's one of the songs I listen to the least on this album. Okay, so you thought it would be better? I thought it, I think it probably deserves better just from this, the, the, the structural nature of the song and, and the parts and everything. I think it's a good song, but when I'm when I'm ranking the songs, you know that I go to on this album, it's it's low for me. So I put it I put it at seven. I have the same as you. I have it at number seven, and it's for the same reasons. Basically, it's uh, it's not a song I reach for. It's not a song I feel that passionate about in this version. I think I like the acoustic ones better. That it just plays and it comes across raw. Thirteen valleys he has wandered for her love For within he is the one that she dreams of But her bed was made elsewhere From the first day she got there Now he wanders thirteen valleys 
you from Oregon, West Coast, United States. Go Ducks. Um, for me, the Peace in Our Time album is uh, simply one that jumped the shark. Uh, if you're not familiar with that phrase, Google it. Um, but, you know, they tried something out of their comfort zone and it just didn't work for one reason or another. Um, other bands have done it. Um, I just wrote a list of, of some of them I can think of. U2 with Pop, Rush, Hold Your Fire, Neil Young, Everybody's Rockin'. 
Styx, Kilroy was here. Beatles, Yellow Submarine, Jethro Tull, Under Wraps, Boston, anything after the third stage, and it goes on and on. But all of these bands, maybe with the exception of uh, Sticks or Boston, were able to rebound to greatness after their respective experiments. Um, but I appreciate that Big Country tried something different on this album. I commend them for thinking outside of their own box, but for me it just didn't work. Um, not because it was a horrendous album, but more because I just can't help but compare it to much of their other output, which is just at a genius level to me. Okay, thousand yard stare. This is um, to me a great big country song. That is a classic big country song. And I'm gonna say right now that I think um, I'm gonna give Peter Wolf a lot of a lot of love on this song. Um, and I'm assuming that he had that he's the one responsible for the things that I'll mention here. Uh, but I think he did a great job on this tune. I think this. I remember hearing this, and I was really starting to think that maybe there was a lot of hope for this album um, when this came up. Um, this to me is a great example of a sound that big country never really had before, but that's still very much big country. I mean, this is, this is a big country song. And if, if you go back, what I, what I mean about Peter Wolf, uh, besides the fact that I think the production actually works w really well in this song for the most part, if you compare the demo of the song with the final version and I know we're always quick to to champion the demos, and I am as well. But I think this is a case, and there are some other songs here too, where I think Peter Wolf did an absolutely great job in, and again, I'm assuming it was Peter Wolf, um, in reshaping this song ever so slightly. It's not huge. There weren't huge changes made to this song from the demo version. But I think the final version of this that appears on Peace in Our Time is really vastly superior to the, the version that's on the demo. Now, again, I'm not talking about necessarily the production, even though I like the production on Peace in Our Time. But there is a, a harder production on the demo, obviously, that some people might prefer. Take 
Um, for me, I think it actually, the Peace in Our Time production works on this song really well. But if you go back and listen to that demo, um, that demo almost sounds like a sketch of a song. And maybe it was. Maybe it's not fair to say that that was a finished song. Maybe Stewart always had in mind that he was going to rework it or do something else to it. But when they record a song like that, to that degree, I gotta, I gotta assume that they thought it was finished. At least a draft of it was finished. And some of the things that I think Peter Wolf really, really added to this, and whoever was involved in the arranging, of, rearranging of this song, number one, there was no, there was no chorus in the uh, original version. Not necessarily that you had to have a chorus, but I really like what he did with this version on the album, where you've got this chord progression running through and you've got just the line thousand yard stare repeated over and over again with a, with a really emotional chord progression and really emotional drumming, I think on this song too. Um, There's also a, there's a part in the demo where it's kind of like a repeating instrumental pattern that they play in the demo. And it, it's incredibly simplistic so much so that it's, I think really a boring part it's like i can't really hum it but it's kind of like this descending guitar part that's like it made its way into the final version but in the final version they they rewrote different chords behind it and gave it a much more uh a bigger feel and and added a much more romantic sense of drama to the song with with these chord progressions in the demo version it's like one chord played over and over again with the same um lead line played over and over again and it's just it's weird to me it, it it doesn't work at all and i don't know if i would have i don't know how i would have felt about it if i had heard the demo first maybe i would have been a little more open to it but i think what they did on the on the album version is vastly again vastly superior They shortened the song. Um, actually, made, they might have actually made the song a little bit longer, come to think of it, because that demo was pretty short. But they they focused the song, I guess is a better way to put it, on the album version in a way that I think really makes it stand out. Um, so you, you mentioned The Thirteenth Valley, that book uh, that kind of inspired a little bit the, the song Thirteen Valleys, even though there's no war sentiment in that, in that song. But... Um, Again, Stewart must have really been reading a lot about the Vietnam War and, and thinking about the Vietnam War around this time period uh, because he has been on record as saying that this song was, was born out of uh, Vietnam War movies and, and the whole aspect of the Vietnam War. But the good thing about the song and about many of these songs uh, that he has written in the past about war and those types of things, it could apply to any war. Um, and I think this is a really beautiful, beautiful song uh, that that captures 
the the horrors of war in a unique way and it's kind of takes me back to where the rose is sown where you've got a very personal approach to what's happening with the character that goes that cuts a lot deeper and strikes a much stronger emotional chord than someone just sloganeering and grandstanding about war is bad you know this is a much more personal way to look at it and from the very beginning, I mean, lyrically, you should have called me a brother. You should have been real close. You knew I loved you, brother, enough to take over your post. I mean, it, it it's really showing that bond between soldiers when they're, especially in the thick of it, in combat situations that I have no clue what that would be like, uh, thankfully. But I can only imagine that it's probably a, a bond that does go deeply as deeply as a the bond between brothers maybe even more so i mean you've heard of band of brothers as a, a show and about world war Two, and you always hear that term thrown around so you know this is a really interesting song about um a guy who who has a friend who is with him in this in, in some skirmish battle in the vietnam war and uh he he wasn't there for him when maybe he thought he should have been he th- he thought he should have maybe taken over his post uh, because this guy apparently fell asleep. And when he says you were asleep when they came through the wire, if you're not that familiar with the Vietnam war, uh, there were a lot of outposts, American outposts. And at night the Viet Cong, the guerrillas would often approach them under cover of darkness and they would cut through the wire that was surrounding their camp. And they would come in there and try to, to kill as many as they could. And you know, it must have been just a horrifying experience to especially be fighting that kind of a war, which America had never really fought before, which was a guerrilla war where it wasn't just two big armies facing each other in in the field. It was, you know, you didn't know if a civilian was fighting for the Viet Cong or or you didn't know who was the enemy and they would come under cover of darkness. And I guess the Japanese kind of did that in a way in World War Two as well, but it was especially prevalent in this. So. Apparently this guy falls asleep and um, someone cuts through the wire. They get through. And the, the one thing I was never 100% sure of with this, and I, I'm 90% sure that the person being spoken about here is dead. Uh, it's the first time I ever heard the term thousand-yard stare out, actually, when I when I heard this song. I thought, what is a thousand-yard stare? And then I went back and researched it, and it, it it's this vacant stare that someone who's been through way too much combat gets, and they call it the thousand-yard stare, where they're just staring into nothing. Their 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 mind has been just pummeled into so so badly, where it just wants to go somewhere else. And it's kind of like the person is going somewhere else; they're not present anymore. There's a thousand-yard stare. It looks like they're looking thousands of miles away. But that that term has also been applied to death with someone with their with their eyes open and they're they're dead but their eyes are open so i'm not sure if this person is dead or not completely but when he says i step on the runway i always will see the boy with a thousand yard stare it it's either they're taking the the person away i mean they are taking the person away but it's either they're taking his dead body away or they're taking someone who's just been ravaged by the experience to the point that they're no longer functioning and i i was, was never totally clear on that um but he does also say later, you know, I watched them fly you back home. Well, again, that that could be the body or a living body. We don't know for sure. 
Um, but either way, it, it, it's a really powerful way, I think, to portray the horrors of, of war and, and specifically what happened in that situation and in that war. Um, the Boy with the Thousand Yard Stare. And musically, it was one of the most, it is one of the most interesting songs on the album for me. I've, I absolutely adore that uh, opening guitar stuff. And this, it, it kind of is similar to, to 13 Valleys with that little plucky thing, but I'm I'm sure these were actually played. I hope so anyway. Um with the I just love that. I love when the when that comes in, when the bass kicks in, and then and then that little guitar line that Bruce plays, um, you know, but it's so good. It's so amazingly good. Um the song gives me chills. And it kinda reminds me later of Dynamite Lady kind of always reminded me a little bit of Thousand Yard Stare with that mysterious guitar approach. There's just a haunting feel about this song that the music immediately creates and then the lyrics come in and do the same. Um, so I love that. I love the guitars in this album. And again, it's, it's the, I mean, in the song, I love the guitars in this song. And again, it's the clean, beautiful, clean guitars or guitar lines. And then later in the chorus, you'll get the big power chords that come in on that chorus. And uh, I really like that a lot. I think it's a great um compliment um of the song and it makes the song really interesting to listen to um there are no there are no peter wolf flourishes on this song that i can think of like the keyboards and king of emotion or the ones i referenced in 13 valleys that ruin this song for me i think he's i think he's like much more understated in this song i think you could definitely make the argument that the song could could benefit from being more edgy production wise, having a little more rawness to it, maybe more like the demo from that perspective. But I don't know. I I really like the way this song comes out on this album. I think it's the I think it's the standout track of the album for me. Um, everything about this song, from the way it sounds to the way uh, to the actual guitar lines in the song, to the lyrics, to the message of the song. Um, I just think it's a great big country song. I think uh I think it's you know one of those tunes on this album that really made me think again maybe this could be a great album and uh you know maybe this really could build up and King of Emotion is going to be more of an anomaly than than the the main uh touchstone of this record. But uh yeah, this this is the top song for me on the album and uh I think it's a great song that that really show that really shows big country growing musically with their presentation. It shows that that ability to to stretch out, but they're still being true to what I love about big country in this song, which can't be said of some of the other songs. So to me, this this was one of the the few moments on this album where the experiment actually really worked well. I think they hit the mark on this song. It's my favorite on the album. Oh, wow. I don't know what to say. Um, well, we can start with some factoids, ease our way into it. Uh, I noticed in an early newsletter from Country Club that this song actually had an, a longer title initially. It was referred to as Boy with a Thousand Yards There. Mm. And this was repeated in uh, in later issues of, of Country Club until suddenly when the, the full track listing in the album came, then it was shortened to just a thousand yards there which I probably works better. I mean, boy with a thousand yards there. It's it's not big a difference as the Broken Heart 30 Valleys thing. It doesn't matter as much, but uh, it's just interesting to see how these things change. Yeah. 
Um, it's also the first of three songs on the album, not solely written by Stuart. This one is credited to Adamson Watson. Mm-hmm. And in case anyone is curious, the other two songs are Time for Leaving and I Could Be Happy Here. Uh, I have a quote again from uh, Making Music magazine about this song, where it says, The phrase Thousand Yard Stare was coined during the Vietnam War to describe the glazed eyes of the shell-shocked young soldiers. Stewart says, The song grew out of thinking it was pretty groovy to see America finally start to try and come to terms with its guilt over the Vietnam War. I like to put characters in my song. So, um, okay, that's uh, Stuart's words. And uh, Making Music Magazine continues with uh, some other tidbits about the song, uh, one of which is the interesting guitar sound that uh, is on the on the chorus, I think, where there's almost like a sitter-like sound going through. Very yes, exactly. light on top. Exactly. That, and that is, that is a very unique sound. And uh, we found out where that came from, through, thanks to this magazine, where it says... Bruce, as it turns out, is something of a guitar freak. He tells us, we got $35 expense a day. And <laughs> since you get your food free in the studio, I saved up all this money and went shopping. <laughs> I, w- I went into this guitar shop and said, I'll have that and that and that, unquote. So the article goes on. He bought a 335, a Jazzmaster, two Les Pauls, a 1960 Strat, a modern reissue an SG Junior, and a vintage Telecaster. Good Lord, how many days were they there? (laughs) They were there for two months. So 35 expenses a day. You can count up the money, I guess. Wow. And uh, and they used 1988 prices. Uh, Bruce also made a Jazzmaster sitar from scratch. He says, I bought a body for $50, put a sitar bridge on it, then got a neck. I used that in the instrumental section in Thousand Yards Stared on the album. Oh wow! So it's uh, he actually uh, made a monster and it. played it. So that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, such a cool sound. That's great. That's a great story. Yeah, that's a little to it. So, uh, yeah, free food. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good times in L.A. Other musical things worth noting in the song is uh, I noticed from the drum, uh, there's a drum thing going on, kind of like an odd stereo hi-hat pattern at the start of the song. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you know what I mean. And that's uh, when you know that Peter Wolf is the one making this album, you kind of think, oh, he probably applied the same complicated studio echo trickery to this as he did a lot of guitar stuff. But uh, he didn't. Mark actually uses two hi-hats on that part, one in the normal place and the other one under the right cymbal. And these are panned hard left and right, which makes the hi-hat rhythm seem to bounce across the speakers. That's so that's, uh, uh, I love that sound. That, that's a really nice, uh, nice bit of the song. Oh, and if I if I could interject really quickly because I really wanted to make this point and I forgot with the drumming, there there's a hi hat moment, or actually it's more like a splash cymbal moment on this on this song that I think is so great. And every time it comes on, I play air splash cymbal. It's like in in one of the final verses, it's like I think it's the "You'll never leave me, brother." Though I watch them fly you back home, and right after the word "home," 
Mark hits the the splash symbol three times in this odd rhythmic pattern. It's like, and it just it's so it's out of time, but it works so perfectly. I mean, it's great. I love that part so much. I watch them fly you back home. I'm still in country, brother. You, you gotta wonder if that's meant to symbolize home. The psh, 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 yeah, where who the knows? Lives. It's, it's just such a cool little flourish. I just love that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. The low bass you hear in the song is Tony's regular Fender precision with its bottom E detuned to D. Mm. And, and Tony says, I used that a lot on this album. My guitar has been sounding so much better, so much clearer. It's matured. So uh, we got a little quote from, uh, from most of the guys in this song. And uh, I think uh, this is the song on the album that has the biggest gap between a part I really like and a part I really hate. Uh, and uh, the good part is the beginning. I, I, we're in total agreement about the way the song begins. The initial guitar intro, it's clearly the best part of the song. Those nice, ominous little guitar licks. And there's a definite something is common element here. The only one on the album, really. And we always pick out several when we do these deep dives. I think this is the, the moment on this, this album where there's a something is common, something is ominous, something's not right. It feels uneasy here. But despite this, it doesn't take long for the song to fall a bit flat. And part of it is the verse melody, which I think is a little lacking for me. It's not particularly strong. And I'm talking about the vocal line, the melody that is sung. It's not just something that grabs me as a great vocal melody. It doesn't sit that well. Not yet a disaster, though. It's just not that strong. The middle part is a bit better. The part where he sings, I guess it's always with me. Uh, that's better, but it's just a small part. And it never ends well. I think the way it ends, the way it transitions, is, is awkward. I think the first time, it ends in a tentative thousand yards there. It sings and it dies out a bit. And then the next verse starts. It, it's not a smooth transition. which takes me to the biggest problem I have. Drum roll, the chorus. <laughs> uh, the chorus is a huge problem. I, I, I think it's the world's most tentative chorus. It, it lacks a punctuation of any kind. I don't feel it goes anywhere. The title is sung over and over again, and it just hangs in the air. There's no crescendo, there's no punch, no strong melody, no evocativeness, no emotion. It's also extremely repetitive. Uh, but that... That is something I could have given the song a pass on. I mean, repetition in itself is, is not a problem, necessarily. I mean, you have a song like All Go Together, which may have the most repetitive chorus they ever wrote, but that one works because it, comes, it becomes like a tribal chant, and it's almost hypnotic in its rhythm. It's got punch. It just feels complete. Plus, it's, it's played with really intense conviction by the band. I, I really just love that. And I don't feel the same about this song at all. It's much more tentative. Don't, doesn't feel complete, really. Plus, it, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, the basic song is done in a little over two and a half minutes, which means that when it clocks out right before four minutes, you've been treated to a minute and a half of ongoing repetition of the words thousand yards there. And that's just too much. That's, uh, ooh, that, that's brutal. And that really pulls down, unfortunately, the, the excellent intro and some of the other parts that you could like about the song. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> the, the, the continual repeat of the phrase thousand yards there, it grinds. It grinds the same way 
beautiful people grinds after six minutes of oh. that song. They sing it over and over and over again. It totally fails to provide a punctuation to the song. It, that's how dare you when, link when, this song with that? With when that when song. they <laughs> when they have to get out of the first couple of choruses, that transition always felt awkward. But it highlights that the verses aren't that bad. The song improves when they go back into the verse the first time, and it just loses it when it goes into the chorus and stays there. So it uh, it loses me pretty much there, and I I think that's all I need to say about that part. <laughs> uh, I don't see I don't see the the same greatness there. Um, it's a shame. I mean, I really like the way the song begins, I, and uh, it reminds me of songs like Christmas Island, which begins in the ex- exact same way. The guitar buildup is similar. Yes, and I, I get yeah. what you're saying about the chorus. I, I, I also I don't think that it's a great chorus, but I think when you look at the demo, which I think really needed something else, I think this fits the bill to some degree. It, yeah, maybe there could have been a better, uh, better, more creative chorus that comes in, but I, I do like it, and uh, it, it doesn't seem repetitive to me because I just like the chord progression going on there. And I also like the staccato-y way that that uh, Stuart will play the guitar kind of towards the end of that chorus, which may, maybe breaks up the re- repetition for me because they'll be doing some interesting little drum flourishes. And then on the guitar, he's kind of muting the strings and playing like... I think that's pretty cool. What can I say? They try. It's it's one and a half minutes of continual... Thousand yards Thousand yards If they just sounded like that, I probably would have your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the lyrics you pretty much dissected uh, well. I have nothing to add to, to those, except um, I perhaps don't feel a closeness to it. I think Stewart's written great songs about war in the past on a more general level. Uh, where the rose is sown in particular is a great song about that that you kind of feel and this is specifically about one war and one situation and, and almost like a more concrete story it's a good one it's uh, I don't, no problem with it but I don't connect with it it's not a song that I'm drawn to lyrically but it, I, I certainly have no problem with that but uh, it doesn't enhance what could be seen as the the weakness for me in in the music so um now it's interesting this is probably one of our biggest discrepancies ever you said it was your number one yes this, this, the, the, is, this is my number one with a bullet i have this at number eight. Oh my lord so uh there you go it's uh basically the main thing for me is the the long minute and a half long outro really that pulls it way down there the first half is pretty good that would be definitely in the top half of the album and maybe a bit up on on that top half too but that 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 ending is it really it really kills it for me sorry oh, now i have a million yard stare <laughs> good then you reach probably out the gate of your house or something down the street <laughs> you you're nowhere near here insanity <laughs> but okay very there well we Hello, Tom and Svein. It's uh, Mark Donwillows here. I always seem to do these recordings in strange places. Last time I was in a car park of a motorway service station. This time I'm in the multi-storey car park of a hospital, so we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, Just a few thoughts and comments about Peace in Our Time. Um, There's obviously a lot of different views about it, and also I haven't had a chance to listen to the, uh, the first podcast about this yet, so I may be 
sort of repeating what other people have said. Just a couple of quick points. One is, um, I always thought when I was younger, you know the song In This Place, I always thought there's a bit about still smell the vision, still touch the rose. That was sort of a, like an, an analogy or a message from Stuart or somebody else possibly about still wanting to be big country and still wanting to sort of still remembering what it's all about it very much later later on of course i heard the song you lose your dreams and it's it, to me it's a lot like that whether that's deliberate or not but i always sort of took it that way um just the other thing i mean there are times obviously the keyboards are too dominant in both on both the album and the, the live album thing we've got but there are times very specifically on there uh, from here to eternity on the intro to that it's just far too soft and you just think what is it a guitar is the keyboard what is it? It just needs more attack. It needs a, um, that one and from here to eternity. And loads of people prefer the demo to that for good reason. And it's just sort of, yes, generally throughout the album, of course, it's a bit too much keyboardy and breathy and um, backing singers and all that. But there are a couple of places where, oh, it's like missing an open goal. It could have been much, much better. And actually more in keeping with the song um, as well. I suppose the final point is um, to say Peace in Our Time, the song, the track, is actually one of my favourite songs. It's really good. I think the bass line's brilliant. I think the demo, it's a real shame. They missed out a sort of middly, mid-chorus or between-chorusy bit that was on the demo. And they also missed out that that sort of chung 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 at the beginning that was on the demo and also was often played live, which just had a, it was a brilliant sort of set-up for the song. So it's a real shame that they're missing from from the final sort of over-polished, which is probably a phrase you'll be using a lot, um, recording. Um, but yeah, I really like that song. I do like that song. I love everything about it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, that's it. I'm off. Okay, well, I hope this gets through the concrete layers above me, but um, I'm sure it will. It's saying that it is. So we'll speak to each other soon, and uh, take care, and good luck with the podcast. Cheers. First of all, there's a very interesting tidbit about this song. And this piece of info isn't really talked about that much. It may have been lost in the mists of time or something. But uh, this was actually supposed to be the fourth single from the album. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's really funny. And uh, the fact that not only was this going to be the fourth, but the fact that there was going to be four singles from Peace in Our Time... And this was going to be one of the last ones. And the fact uh, that they changed from three to four in itself is probably indicative that they didn't feel it was worth it. Maybe it halted somewhere. Well, you know, quickly, um, it actually was going to be the third single, at least according to the country club. And then it says, because if you look at the country club, it says a broken heart was two, then from here to eternity. And then it says underneath, fourth yet to be chosen. Uh, well, I... Actually, I have a different note. I have, um, I have the very hot news newsletter, which probably you you got back in the day. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they ch- changed it again. Maybe maybe they switched it. They might have switched around it. 
they didn't know what they were doing, were they? Wish-washy, back and forth. But uh, at least according to this very hot newsletter, dated 8th of August 1988, which is reasonably late, uh, they say there will be four singles taken from the album in all. Each will be coupled with a new instrumental. No dates have been decided yet for release. It will depend on how the previous single does, and then Phonogram will decide. Second mm. single will be A Broken Heart, Third in Valis. From here to eternity will be one of the next, but don't know whether it will be third or fourth. Decision yet to be made on fourth track to be used. Still don't know how many formats on each will be made. You can rely on a 7 and 12 inch. Extra tracks will be taken from demos, not used on the albums. So that was the very hot news thing. And if you have your info from Country Club, that probably came later when they had perhaps settled a bit more. So maybe yours is more up to date. Yeah, it could be. Could be, but, but it do, it does have the, in there. It's it has August eighth listed as the release of King of Emotion. So it almost makes it seem like this come this came out before King of Emotion even came out. But I don't know. Hmm. Who knows? E- either way, it's 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 definitely news. I'm gonna. I'm sure it's gonna be news to a lot of people that this song was ever considered as a single at all. And the thing that is really strange about that is that if this really was a candidate for a single, they never played this track live. Mm-hmm. So if they felt the song was strong enough to be considered as a single track, I would have thought that that means it's one of the stronger ones and you would have played it live uh, because you picked the best tracks as singles, hopefully, usually. Um, not necessarily as we've seen, but that's the intention when you start. And, and the best track should also be played live. So the fact they didn't play this one leads me to believe that this was a record company pick rather than a band pick. Yeah, could be. That theory is strengthened by the fact that the actual contender for the fourth single was changed. Because the album only had three singles internationally, but there actually was a fourth single released in a single market. Can you guess which market and which song? Really? Um, Gosh, good good trivia question. I'm I'm stumped. I don't know. (laughs) I bet it's some obscure market. And I'm assuming it would probably be something like, uh, I don't know, Time for Leaving, River of Hope, maybe? I don't know. Okay, so I will reveal the answer to this trivia question when we get to that song later in the deep dive. (laughs) How about that? We have to have everybody guessing in the meantime. And I can just hear that ah being shared by all our listeners, by the way, which is good. Great stuff. Keep going (laughs) ah out there. I'm sure you do on a regular basis when you listen to us. But uh, I'll get into the song here. we have From Here to Eternity, which is uh, an interesting song. A song about unrequited love, or at best uh, about the uncertainty of not knowing if the other person really loves you back. And so um, it appears to be about a couple who used to be together, but uh, she left him. And uh, the clue for that is in the line, I try to hold you, not for the first time. You step away and the past goes on. So there is a past of some kind. He has tried to hold her, or he has held her before. It's not for the first time. But he also says, how will I know if it's not like the first time? So his feelings never went away. It really looks like for his partner, though, they did. So therein lies the crux of this song. He is a patient man, and he's not a quitter, and he is waiting around for her to really make the the right decision. And the chorus goes, If I hold out for you, will you hold out for me? Hold out from here to eternity. If I wait for you, will you come to me? I need you from here to eternity. That's quite a pledge. But the main thing here is he's willing to wait. So he's basically asking, If I wait for you to make up your mind, or for you to come round, 
will I be waiting in vain? Will you be coming? Uh, or what's going on here? So uh, it's kind of uh, a little bit like Hold the Heart, perhaps. I know I mentioned that song before, but this, this definitely falls much closer to it than uh, than 13 valleys does because oh, yeah. this is this is a personal song and it's sort of the same scenario i think the main difference being that in hold the heart he was just blindly optimistic that of course she would come back and she he just had to wait and uh, he didn't even care that she was with another man at that point because yes of course she'll come back she'll just realize and i can wait in this song the waiting is getting a little bit more weary and he's not necessarily certain it will happen, but uh, it's almost like he has no choice, or at least he is still willing to to do it, because there seems to be no other contender in the picture. She just needs to make up her mind about him, which is perhaps a little easy. But it's not that easy, because as we see from the lyrics, times I walk through empty and aimless, dragging days like a worn-out mule. What a great line that is. I love that phrase, dragon days like a worn-out mule. <laughs> I'd under, underline that. If you if you didn't get to it, I certainly would have. Yeah, that, that's an incredible line. Love it. It's, it's my favorite line in the whole song. It reminds me of a line from Susie and the Banshees, which was similar on a song they have called 92 Degrees. And, it's, and it goes, the day, dra- the day drags by like a wounded animal. <laughs> okay. And, the, and this is a very similar line to that. I, I just always love this this line. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, a night so empty, it can only be painless, weak and weary as your favorite fool. Uh, that, lies, that last line there kind of reveals that he knows what he's doing. When he says, I'm your favorite fool, he knows he's being played, or at least he knows he's not being entirely realistic necessarily in his hope that she will come round, but he has no choice. And in other words, he says, I must take comfort in the little you leave me, the ring you stole on the darkest night. And I, I, I would assume that's not a Lord of the Rings uh, reference. <laughs> the ring and yours. Um, the weight of souvenirs that lie to deceive me, the dust of journeys and the scent of life. Uh, if they have been together before, which the first verse alludes to, then these souvenirs that lie around that he's talking about here, deceiving him, could be pictures of the two of them making him think of the happier times as well as the dust of journeys they were on a journey together in the past but there's dust on them now it was a long time ago so uh, it keeps coming back to the chorus and i love the sentiment about holding on and holding out from here to eternity it's very endearing just a shame that in this song it seems so wasted on this woman it really doesn't seem likely that she is coming back and the interesting thing is that this impression that she isn't coming back it comes from this guy he is singing about it and based on what he is saying and what he is telling us we kind of realize it so maybe he realizes it a bit himself too or maybe he just ignores it because he, he still feels the way he does so it's a tough situation but uh, I do have a fondness for the lyrics. There, there is a fondness in them. And Stuart has really a lot of good phrases here. Uh, we mentioned the days dragging out like a worn mule. That, that is my favorite for sure. But the entire song is, is very well written within what it is about. But 
you know, it, it doesn't seem to have a happy ending, this, uh, this tale of these two people, at least not for the guy. So um, to get a little into the music, uh, if we start at the beginning, which is the intro, that lasts for quite a bit. It's 35 seconds to be exact before the band kicks in. And what we hear are several layers of keyboards. Uh, so this intro was made and played by Peter Wolf. Again, putting his mark on a song or marking his territory, as you said before. Um, I don't think this opening is terrible. It kind of works. It has a certain atmosphere, but it has nothing to do with the rest of the song. And it has nothing to do with the big country sound. And uh, therefore, you know, why not have Big Country make the intro? Why does Peter Wolf need to sit there and design an intro? And the fact that he kept doing this on several songs didn't sit well with certain band members. And uh, in particular, Tony Butler has been vocal about this and had a few choice words to say about this uh, approach of his. And this takes us back to all the breakdowns that Tony did of all the Big Country albums uh, in uh, on the message boards back in 2006. So you guys might remember, we read a lot of these as part of the Buffalo Skinner Steep Dive. And he did this for all the albums. And most of them were captured, but sadly not peace in our time. So nobody saved the comments he shared about that album. But uh, thanks to our mate, Andy Inkster, I have some of these quotes anyway. Because he remembered some of Tony's comments about From Here to Eternity specifically. So this is a second-hand report, but those are better than no reports, and uh, apparently these uh, comments were quite memorable. So Tony was waxing poetically about how good the demo of this song was, so that means there is a demo. I don't think that demo has ever been uh, put out there. So, oh, um, man. I, I would have to loved that. to hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Tony thought it sounded spectacular in demo form, and then lost almost everything along the way after the quote-unquote megalomaniac producer wanted to be heard <laughs> on the track. <laughs> nice. Wow. So uh, that's uh, that's the part that Andy for sure knows. Tony referred to to uh, Peter Wolf as a megalomaniac producer due to him wanting to uh, insert himself uh, unfavorably. And especially the intro to this one was... Uh, was quite uh, jarring in his uh, mind. And uh, yeah, the intro is one thing, but the entire song is full of keyboard harmonies. So I, I really wish to have heard a demo, if only to hear how different it is. But even without hearing that demo, I really can hear how Peter Wolf must have changed this song around, just on the strength of how prevalent the keyboards are in this song. This really is a keyboard-drenched version of the song. I have to say, though, despite this, I, I do have a fondness for the melody of this song. And that is always what's going to make the song work or not work for me. This one has a very strong melody and a very good melody. And that, that helps a lot. So um, I, I don't know how I feel about this. There, there clearly is a great song within From Here to Eternity. I don't know how I feel about the approach and the arrangements and everything. But I can even so hear such a great potential and if this song had been played in a true big country fashion this i think would have been right up there on on, on top for me but as it is it it isn't it's a bit more down due to it but uh, i i really hope someday we get the demo i i, I would love to hear that for this one mm, um i i mentioned earlier how 
Stewart is overpronouncing a lot of the words on this album. And um, I, I probably said that during the wrong song, but uh, it sort of fit with the discussion when we were discussing King of Emotion. Uh, this song is probably one of the main culprits for me. I think on the verses of this song, the overpronouncing is uh, well overpronounced. I try to hold you, not for the first time. You step away and the past goes on. I love the Ebo in the pre-verse sequences of the song. Those are very beautiful and uh, they work very well. But I guess on this album, we can't be totally sure if that actually is an Ebo because of the way Peter Wolf works. That's right, we can't be. We have no way of knowing if he actually sampled it and plays that part on the keyboards. Uh, he definitely doubles that part with some keyboards as well. It's, it's at best an Ebo slash keyboard part. It could be done simultaneously or maybe not, but uh, it's a musical touch that at least rings a little bit of big country. So I gotta give that one a little bit of kudos. But overall, yeah, it's a shame we don't have the demo because I can tell the end result must have changed a lot. This song is very polished. I mean, all of the album is very polished, but this is a song where I feel or sense that there may be a gap between intention and result as far as the band sound goes. And it's probably also one of the bigger sinners as far as Peter Wolf almost taking over a song with his keyboards. But the basic melody survives, and that helps quite a lot. The one thing I wish the song could have emphasized a bit more is the way the band comes into the chorus. Uh, Stuart sings, if I hold out for you, will you hold out for me? Which is played a bit less forcefully, with a very nice almost solo line for Tony on the bass. But after he sings that line, there's almost like a BAM! The band kicks into the next line, hold out from here to eternity. Hold out for you, will you hold out for me? So that is where I definitely think it was muted down. They do kick into that bit when they come back into it. Um, but as we know, Peter Wolf doesn't like rock and roll. So there is no explosion there. But I, I just feel if this song had been played live, perhaps, uh, there could have been one. And it seems like such a natural place for it. So the band playing, if I hold that for you, will you hold that for me? Bam! Hold out for it. It's a it's a sort of such a place where the band can really jump into it a bit more. Uh, so that's the light and shade that Big Country the band could have added, but Big Country the Peter Rules Control band never would. And that's that's just one of the the losses of this song. Uh, I, I hear those things. They're they're so easy to be there. Uh, I really would have expected them to be there, but they're not. This um, this is actually a good segue into a wider issue I have with this album, and I didn't say it as part of our opening uh, discussion. And this is not necessarily only a From Here to Eternity thing. This is more an album thing, where I think we see a trend at this point in the album. We see a lot of songs being mid-tempo. We see a lot of songs 
being more laid back and very polished. And even if individual songs here and there may be good, there is a problem that I don't see on any other Big Country album, really, where the, where the album starts with a very middle-of-the-road type song, King of Emotion. It's laid back, it's mid-tempo. And it continues with uh, 13 Valleys, it's laid back, it's mid-tempo. Uh, as his thousand yards there, it's it's mid-tempo, maybe potential of not being so laid back, but uh, with a far too long end section, in my opinion. But uh, especially then from here to eternity, and we know the next song is Everything I Need. So far, there's a definite absence of the more rousing rock moments on Peace in Our Time. Oh yeah, and I was going to mention this, yeah. Yes, the first three albums all had their share of intense rock moments. Uh, light and Shade, and some mixed it up more than others, but it was always there. And then we have Peace in Our Time, where it's really the first and honestly the only album where the rock attitude is just gone. There's not just the lack of crunching guitarists, but just the overall attitude of before is, is totally gone. And the album is too laid back, too clean, too polished, made to be musically inoffensive to the largest number of people, and just really lacking in, in the rock out moments or the rock and roll attitude. And so, uh, you know, individual songs are fine, and all the songs might be good, but as an album, at this point, it starts a bit to to lack something there. And the reason for this is very simple. Uh, I don't doubt it at all, and that's because Peter Wolf just isn't a rock and roll guy. He's one for the big pop choruses and the polished pop gem. And that's what this album represents to a lot of people, and certainly to me. I think... I'm actually positive this is why certain songs on the REL tapes weren't selected. I, I don't think Peter Wolf was looking for rock and roll moments. I think he wanted pop moments, or at least catchy, more lightweight rock moments, radio-friendly moments. So the attitude to what the end product should be and could be runs through the entire album, and that's the reason the album is the way it is. And there are probably people who think that's a good thing, and there are definitely also a lot of people who... who who don't like it, so that that goes both ways. Uh, I just think it's a shame that this move, in uh, effect, ended Big Country's career as a bigger band. Uh, it it really altered the band's fortunes, and not for the better. So this um, this is an issue at this point, I think. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I remember, and as I said uh, before, I always go back to when I first heard this in the dorm room to also how I look at it now, and there's, those are often two different things. But I had the exact same feeling. I remember hearing it, hearing this in the dorm room for the first time, and uh, when this song came on, I started to think, you know, wow, you know, when is a big country song that's going to kick my butt going to come on <laughs> you know when is when is class when am i going to hear some classic big country when am i going to hear that anthem that i want to hear so badly and yeah i have a big problem with the tracking of this album i think uh it really is so laid back and it's not to take away from some of the individual songs which i do like um including this one and i'll talk about it but when when you put them back to back to back to back to back with the the, the hardest song you get is king of emotion really you know, that you, it's it's a big change of pace from wow. what you're used to with Big Country. That blew my mind, because you're, you're actually absolutely right. King of Emotion might be the rock moment. It is. And when, that, and when that comes on, it feels like anything but. And you kind of think, okay, they're starting uh, a bit slow here. They're starting with a nice mid-tempo, easy song. And as the album moves on, th that that is the rock moment. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
And at least, you know, on that first side, and remember back then there were sides, so this was the first side of that cassette was really mellow. It, get, it kicks in a little bit in the second side, but I mean, we'll, we can talk about all this later when we get to the song, but I always thought they should have opened with Peace in Our Time. would have been a much better opener of the album, but mm. anyway, we're kind of moving off track of the, of the song here specifically, so this is my turn to, to throw a little nugget in there. I actually posed a question to Bruce about this song because this is one of those big country songs that you never hear anyone talk about. You never hear anyone mention. You never hear the band talk about it. It's probably one of the the most under-the-radar big country songs of all of them. Um, So I thought I'd ask Bruce a question. I just said, you know, can you tell me anything about From Here to Eternity? This is a song I've never heard any of you guys talk about. And so here's his response to me. He says, um, we only ever played this once, and that was at Stewart's tribute gig with Midjour singing. The guitar keyboard line is a melody Stewart had for a while, but I guess we never got around to using it until then. This is a song I will be looking at in the near future. I think the best way to celebrate the Peace in Our Time era would be to pick the best of the album and best of the REL demos and combine them somehow. And that's what he had said to us earlier. And then I, I had said to him um, – Initially, in that email, I said we were we were planning on spending at least five hours dissecting the opening keyboard section of this song. And he says, um, I think you are doing the band a terrible injustice by only spending five hours on the keyboard intro. It needs at least 10 hours spin on it, which is around the same amount of time Peter Wolf spent programming it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's another little little thing for Peter Wolf. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I had... I swear I've heard bits and pieces of that tribute gig in the past from somebody's audience recording, but really interested to to know that they that they actually played this at Stewart's memorial gig and that Majeur was the one singing, and that must have been an interesting uh, an interesting sound sounding version of it. I've never heard much from that gig, and um, I know that uh, I think the band has it. I think it was recorded properly, but it's just never been released. So, I mean, if anybody out there has uh, clips from this show i would i would love to hear what from here to eternity especially sounded like i i know there must be all sorts of reasons that they haven't released it and maybe don't want to release it and to be honest there might be portions of it that i don't even know if i would want to hear it's like be too sad and but i would really be interested in at this point in time now that so much time has passed i would be interested in hearing them play this song to, to see, hear what it sounded like but um, anyway, with with Midjor, who's done a lot of keyboard stuff, I think um, you would think maybe this was something he chose or he liked or I don't know. I don't know who chose this song, but it's interesting that they that they played it for the gig. He played guitar for Thin Lizzy, believe it or not. Oh, really? He uh, proudly says that he's the least talented guitar player that to ever play in Thin Lizzy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. All right. Well, that's that's very interesting. But yeah, I mean. This is I love this song I really do and I like you you made a lot of valid completely valid points that I share about some of the production elements of it and but but I can't I can't compare this to anything else because even though I I've heard Tony's comments that you read and and I know now there is a demo of the song I've never heard it so all I can do is is comment on what we do have and the keyboard intro yeah I think. Um, my biggest issue with that is the little pan pipes that kind of flitter in in the beginning. And I don't mind it kind of slowly swelling up like that and then, then the drums kick in. But I could probably do without the pan pipes. But it, it does create kind of an interesting ethereal, ambient type of sound. But what really gets me about this song 
is this is one of those songs where I really do think, for the most part anyway, the production of style of Peter Wolf really works well for this song. Um, and this song has a great uh, vibe to it. It's got a great drive to it. And, and yeah, it's a mid-tempo song. But I really do think that if maybe the track listing had been mixed up a little bit throughout this album, I mean, this this song might have stood out even more. Um, it, I, I love how it kicks in. I love Mark's drum sound. I think this a, it's a great representation of Mark's drumming in this song. Uh, the drums sound so crisp and clear. And Tony's bass, too, is so driving and so playful in this song. I love his bass playing in this. And and. The tone of Tony's bass, too, which is the same throughout this album, is is worth mentioning because this is the first big country album where we get a completely clean sound from Tony on the bass. Pretty pretty much unprocessed, too. I mean, it sounds to me like he's just playing either straight through an amp or straight through the soundboard, the mixing board, and they maybe put some things on it. But, you know, in the past, Tony's bass has been really heavily processed. There's There's been a lot of chorus effect on it. There's been a lot of grit in the bass in places, sometimes almost sounding like a, a, a thicker guitar than a bass. But on this album, it really comes through as bass. I mean, you get a very clean, right-in-your-face bass sound. For some songs, maybe on this album, you would maybe want a little bit more of a return to some grit and, and that more traditional Tony playing. But I think it works great on this this track. Uh, the bass playing to me and the the rhythm section in this song is is one of my uh, favorite elements of the song. It's just a really great showcase for for uh, Mark and Tony. Um, the melody line of the song. Uh, very, very catchy. And as you say, I've always wondered, obviously there are keyboards in there and it does sound like an Ebo, but then at other times, I don't know if it's if it's a guitar. I, I, I'm not totally sure if it's a guitar with the keyboard over top of it or if it maybe is an Ebo. But one thing I will say is that at the end of the song, when you've got that outro, uh, right before the outro actually, when the when that melody line is played for the last time, the keyboards disappear at the very end of that line and you get a traditional um, beautiful little melody line from Stuart played clearly on the electric guitar and it's not an Ebo, he's picking the notes and it's got the little hammer on pull off things that Stuart does and I love that and then it goes into that great outro with the big drums and that just kind of fades away. So it almost seems like the keyboards were stripped off there, revealing the guitar that was underneath. So I, I would have I would have done without the keyboards, definitely there that were doubling this thing because it does have too much of a keyboard vibe to it. Yeah, um, would have been much better, I think, just to have the the guitar take take note there and and take the take the lead spot, so to speak. Um, the way they did it, it's kind of 
it, it kind of harkens back to to really early big country though in a way with when they had a lot of keyboard heavy stuff maybe even some of the skid stuff which had a lot of keyboard lines lead lines being played yeah but that that's very different keyboards you can't compare it with the the, uh, the oceans of keyboards of peter wolf that was more like a synth uh, keyboard type well yeah and it, this is i'm just talking specifically though about that melody part um it just you know the main melody line because that seems to me like uh it's it's just a couple keys being played, you know, like he's playing the the synth part on the the uh, piano on a synclavier or whatever it is. Okay. Um, it just it's it kind of takes me back to some of those things, w- which like uh, working for the Yankee Dollar or something along those lines, where the keyboard lead parts were played. But no, it doesn't really sound the same. But I guess what I'm saying is it's not completely out of touch with things that big country has done in the past, but. Yeah, it's not what we really wanted, and and I don't I don't think it's any accident that they hadn't that they hadn't really done that up until this point, and they're kind of veering into a, keyboards again here, but in a in a different way. Um, there there are some moments though on this song that I think the keyboards are really nice, and I I really like the uh, I carry on part where everything kind of strips back. I like how there is like a solo Tony uh, bass part there almost. And the keyboards are are really more in line with what I usually want from keyboards in in that portion of the song where they're laid back. They're a padding type of sound more than an in-your-face lead sound. It it almost reminds me a little bit in in that section more of uh, what U2 was doing at the time on Unforgettable Fire and things like that where, where they had a lot of keyboards but... The keyboards weren't overpowering and they weren't bringing in a big cheese factor to the song. They were kind of just there as a as a nice, ambient, ethereal padding. And I think that works really well for the chorus here, which I think is a really touching uh, touching lyric, as you touched on already, and a touching uh, chorus. And I, I also like the, the guitars that kick in, like the dirty guitars. And we get a lot of that on this album, as I mentioned before, where we've got like this interesting... Uh, juxtaposition of very clean sounds with some occasional gritty distorted guitar sounds and but yeah you get the feeling that this is like as as dirty and gritty as peter wolf would ever want to get and almost like almost like he had to probably be dragged into doing it like a worn out mule would have put some of these guitars in there who knows but i really like the way it works on this song um you've already gone over the lyrics very well and there's no really reason for me to go back and and add much because you said pretty much everything that i was going to be saying about the song Dragging Days Like a Worn Out Mule, beautiful line. One of, one of the strongest on the album, really. Just a great metaphor. Um, the lyrics in general, as you say, are, are really uh, really interesting and, and more playful for big country. You mentioned Hold the Heart. It definitely harkens back to that. It, it also, as a song, reminds me a little bit of Rain Dance in that it's, it's just, just more upbeat. It's got a more, of a more of a playful feel to it now yeah i know the lyrics aren't really playful they're kind of sad and this guy is his love is not being uh um reciprocated here but the the feel of the song the the vibe of the song the drums on the song just the the playful way everything is played it's got uh it's got a much more upbeat feel to it than the lyrics would would make it seem that it should have and in a way that kind of always reminded me of rain dance it's got this 
feel almost like whoever's singing this song is is a farmer. It always struck me as he's a farmer, <laughs> not just because of the mule reference, but I don't know. There's something about this and Raindance where both both lead characters, it almost feels like they're singing from a different time period, like the 1800s or something out on their land. And that's kind of how I, I always took this one as well. Um, the only negative thing I'll say about the lyrics is when, when I first saw the song title, From Here to Eternity, I thought, Hmm, you know that, that's a bit of a cliched title, and and again, it's it's this movie title that Stewart has taken from, and one of these big sweeping old time movies that he uh, that he seemed to really like taking titles from. Yeah, and it, it's not a huge slight against it, but I just I I've heard that phrase from here to eternity so much, and it was a very popular movie. Um, so when I saw that, I just thought, oh, okay, what's this going to be? But he he. The, he makes uh, makes it work in the song, and and after a while, I come away not thinking that it's really a cliche. But I know some people have mentioned that too that they didn't really think the title was, you know, a great creative stroke. But uh, the rest of it, I think, is is just a, a great little song. It's a, it's a great big country song, and this is one of the places where I think Stewart sounds a little bit more like the Stewart I remember when he's singing. I remember thinking that when I was listening to it. Um, yeah, I can see the enunciation thing that you bring up, but I, I feel like the tone of his voice in this song is a little bit more in keeping with the traditional sound that I was used to and not so American as the, uh, as the first track was King of Emotion and some other ones that we'll hear on this album. So yeah, overall, I think it's, this is, uh, one of my favorites on the album. It's, it's a song that sometimes I, I used to think, you know, why do I really like this song so much? There are some things about it that I, on the surface, I would just really reject, like the keyboard things and and other stuff. But I just love it. I think it would have made a good single. I, I'm I'm sorry that they didn't release it. I don't. I think almost. Uh, I think it would have made a better single than King of Emotion. I think it would have made a better single than. Um, well, maybe maybe Thirteen Valleys was still the best choice. But anyway, I think this would have been a good one too, and it yeah. would have it would have been one that still sounded like big country and probably wouldn't have been such a shock to people's system as king of emotion was but uh we can't go back in time uh, it does have the 80s thing but it's still it's a big country 80s thing yeah more more than other songs so yeah i agree i think this could have been an interesting single but uh there you go and it's one of my favorites too and i think we we end up feeling a lot the same that I really feel there's a really great big country sounding song hidden well amongst the he- keyboards. Yeah, I would love to hear that demo. Oh man. Oh, wouldn't it be great though? So for me, like I said, if if I could get a really proper, truly big countryfied version of this song, I think it would be right up there on top for me, or near the top, along with some other songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it is, this is my number four. Ah, well, we're close. It's my number three. And, nice. Uh, yeah, and and I too. I also just want to say one more thing uh, about that outro. Uh, I think we've got a lot of outros on this song, which I, I mean, on this album, which I think is most of them are actually very good, and we'll talk more about some of them later. But uh, I absolutely love the outro of this song. It's just got great drumming from Mark and this great little uh, thing that they they sink into and they get in sync, and Mark and Tony are jamming, and it just goes in a kind of unexpected direction.
Very cool outro. I, I like outros. I always liked outros. You know, outros like intros are important places where you can uh, create a good one with keyboards. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's uh, coincidental that there's a lot of them. But uh, yes, yeah, some of them are, are really good. And a couple of them are probably shouldn't be there to begin with. But uh, we have both of them on this album. Yeah. Okay. Hi, guys. This is Dermot from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Just sending some random thoughts about pacing our time. It takes me back to 88, 89, uh, when I remember getting this brand new cassette. Uh, lots of the songs are still, I still like them. A few of the songs, in retrospect, keyboards, and as we've said before, keyboards, uh, a bit dated. But songs like Thousand Yards There, uh, In This Place, the title track, and of course, River and Hope, still stand the test of time. Uh, I remember seeing River Hope in concert in Belfast in uh, the Ulster Hall and vivid memories of that. That sticks with me. Still though, in retrospect again, the demos, I prefer a lot of the demos to the original songs but that was then, this is now, but still, I didn't, 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 don't think Big Country lost her way, just lost her producer as I say. And, um, I lost my way a little bit with Wide Long or No Place Like Home, but there you go. So, this, so thank you. Thank you for the good work and uh, look forward to hearing Deep Dive number two. Have a G. Hello, everyone. This is Kenny Henderson from Glasgow, Scotland. Just wanted to say a few words about the Peace in a Time album. I haven't listened to the first episode of the podcast. I have to agree with you guys. It sounded like from the promotion, they were trying to make it big in, in Russia at the time rather than trying to make it big in America. Uh, I know the album has come in for a lot of stick, uh, especially for the production, but for me, the, the production can't hide how great the songs are. Um, I really enjoy all the songs on that album, um, all except King of Emotion. That is it's definitely my bottom-ranked song on the album. Uh, I'm really interested to hear what Tom ranks lower than that. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that descending keyboard line at the start just before the singing comes in. For me, that, that just is me reaching for the, the skip button every time. Um, I, I remember Stuart using a phrase, pushing the suck button. And I think when Peter Wolf was recording that one, he, he definitely pushed the suck button. Um, but I enjoy all the rest of the songs, uh, especially 13 Valleys. That's my favourite song on the album. Um, I wasn't surprised to see it came top of the recent Facebook poll. Uh, a couple of big country songs that have grown on me over the years. The first one was Ingle Park. Uh, wasn't too keen on it at first, but it really grew on me over time. But even more so, 13 Valleys, that's the song that's grown on me the most. First time I heard, heard the album, probably one of my least favourites, but it, it's grown on me so much over the years and it's, it's now in my top 10 big country songs. My top 10 will change from time to time, even day to day sometimes, but I think 13 Valleys will, will always be in there in, in my top 10. Uh, thanks again guys for the podcast and I can't wait to hear the, the rest of the episodes here what you think of all the, the rest of the songs and I'll definitely be setting aside a few days to, to listen to the next dozen or so episodes to finish off the Peace in the Time saga thanks again guys, bye Okay, that's going to do it for episode 62. We thought we would do, we would finish this album in just 
three maybe episodes, but you know us better than that. We're going to be at least four. But in any case, we'll be back for the next batch of songs um, in episode 63. So good discussions, fine. Yeah, I think uh, sadly the album isn't as good as the discussion, is it? <laughs> I like it more than you. Maybe you do. But you're still probably right. <laughs> How about you? All right. See you in the next one. Yeah, I, we have this big we have this big uh, pine tree outside our house now. And as soon as we moved in, I thought it'd be great to put lights around that. And we don't have a ladder tall enough to get up to the top of it. So yesterday, I, my wife said it was impossible. So that I was gonna, I, I decided I was gonna prove her wrong. And I um, figured out a way to get up on the roof and string lights around the top just enough so that I could then go down to the bottom and and uh put the lights around it with a ladder and uh i spent like two hours doing it and when i got to the bottom i realized that i had strung all the lights backwards and that i (laughs) i I couldn't plug i couldn't plug the the lights into the into the socket i had a i had a female end of um of the plug and i needed a male end and the male end was Ah. up at the top (laughs) so (laughs) i gotta take them all off and do it all over again We don't do this Christmas stuff often enough. That's what this means. Yeah, it must be.